Hello, this is Melissa, and it is the 4th of February, 2024, and I hope that everyone is doing well. I wanted to just make a couple of announcements about my schedule upcoming, and that is that I have been working on the big project of going through my mother and father's things and getting rid of much of it, and that's a difficult task. And I've spent pretty much all of January doing that. And I have a friend who volunteered to come out and help me move my things into the house. It's That's another big job, but most of my things are in a little bitty shed in the back of the house. And I have some clothes in one closet. They've been mixed in with my mother's things, and on the floor of the closet and some grocery bags or my socks it's, it, and then in another closet in another room I have other things and it's been a little bit crazy to live like that I guess but I've had the priority of keeping things going with Alan's talks, the Redux, the website and this has been my priority and I think that having my little health problem in the fall and then this tax bill is just sort of hitting me that this is well and truly where I am now and living out of a suitcase or a grocery bag um, with boxes in a shed for two and a half years doesn't change the fact that this is where I am and Alan is not physically with me and it's time for me to settle in here. My friend will be here next week, and the way the schedule will be affected is that I won't be speaking for a while or making videos, and you'll there'll be some things that I'm doing this week before my friend gets here. Darren and I will record another book club conversation a little bit later on today and that will go up in the next couple of days. I will also be talking with Neil Foster even later today and that will go up on Thursday the 8th. And I think that Johnny from Dynamic Independence and I are going to pre-record something on Tuesday that will go up the following week. There will be a redux on the 11th of February, and there will be one on the 18th because I stay committed to that. But I won't be making an introduction, and I won't be researching. There will not be not sure articles, and there will not be real histories for two or three weeks while I settle in here. And... I think the big thing is it's coming up on three years since Alan's passing and adjusting to that reality in a way that is just more accepting, I think, is a good way of putting that. And the the thing that keeps going through my mind, that keeps motivating me to go through this big task, and I'd rather be doing 
you know, it's kind of painful, <laughs> the project, and I'd rather, you know, make a video or post something on a channel or read a book. But this needs to be done, and one of the, the big reasons it needs to be done is because the truth is that the nature of love, the power of love, and a lived experience with someone that you love is that they are never far from you. So Alan is always in my heart, he's always in my thoughts, and in fact, Alan is always with me. And that is a, a lovely thing, but it's also, to say this kind of humorously, I have always felt that he is here, and that is one of the reasons why I work very hard, because Alan expected hard work. And so it's just coming to terms with a different way of relating. And it is time because I have a lot to do on behalf of Alan. And I think that I will work more efficiently and more quickly if you know, I know where my clothes are and I can find things that I know I have that might be useful, but they're in some box in a little shed. So keep an eye out for the reduxes on the 11th and the 18th. Things that are in the can, so to speak, will go up. I can take, a, you know, a little bit of time to put up a signs and symbols excerpt. Uh, there's going to be a controller's episode that goes up on Tuesday and probably even the following Tuesday because these things have been completed by a listener and I just put the little thumbnail, the intro card, the title card on there and upload it and, and so I can do a little bit of uploading but no speaking and no writing and no researching. So there you go. And I hope that you all have a wonderful February. And I'm here. And when I hit the ground running in March, it will be more efficient. What is in the news today? And what Redux did I pick? And possibly just because of milestones and the significance of endings and new beginnings... I have chosen to put up about an hour's excerpt from February 28, 2021. This was Alan's last talk. Here is the poem. Great reset and experimental vaccine informed consent. Behaviorists authorized to ply their craft upon citizens. Gov collusion truly damning. Freedom to reason, rationalize, given the shaft. For a great reset, years in the planning, using professional psychological persuaders, avoiding study facts recipients should know, means we're run by elite corporate dictators. Fawning democracy is a child's story show. Informed consent means reading these studies with each vaccination offer 
to each one of you. Not crowd techniques. We're good guys, buddies. Majority accepted, so you should too. Stigmatizing, shaming are methods of war. Uniform opinions are created and managed. Do you know what legal indemnities for? You're on your own if your health is damaged. So what I did on my fine search engine for the website that someone created for me, I had Russia on my mind and propaganda and the big bad bear and how we are made to hate Russia. Um, and I had that on my mind because, of course, Iran is behind Hamas and the Houthis and who's behind Iran, Russia. And, you know, we just have this intertwined, interconnected propaganda that we have to unravel. And when I did that search, I the first mention that came up, because everything in the search engine is reverse chronological, was from this last talk. And I didn't I didn't want to do that in part because I just didn't want to go back to that talk. And also, it's almost a five-hour talk. And it is always difficult to choose in a talk like that what you will excerpt. And so I debated. But ultimately, yes, I have decided this is the talk to go with. So there is this part there where Alan was reading from an article that was published about some propaganda. And I'm going to find that for you. This was an article that Alan read a little bit from about leaked documents that showed that in the UK they were using they they were actually promoting and providing anti-Russian propaganda. And so this is from February 26, 2021. It said, Leaked documents have unequivocally proven that the United Kingdom has been running a large-scale and well-funded program to plaster the Western media with anti-Russian propaganda. And Twitter wants you to know that these materials were obtained through hacking. So Alan read a little bit from that, and it is a fairly lengthy article from the UNS Review, and I will post that and let you look at it. But like I said, it, I felt that it was important to highlight that because we are getting similar kinds of propaganda right now in this moment as things in the Middle East escalate. An example of that is that the very latest thing that has happened is that the U.S. has... The very latest thing that has happened on Friday, U.S. strikes over 85 targets at seven sites in Iraq and Syria against Iran's forces and proxies. President Biden had promised to respond to the drone attack that killed three American soldiers this week, 
Our response began today, he said, in an escalation of hostilities in the Middle East. The aftermath of the U.S. military strikes overnight, targeting sites in Syria and Iraq used by Iranian forces and Iran-backed militia, began coming into focus on Saturday morning. The Biden administration warned that the strikes in retaliation for the killing of three U.S. troops last week would not be the last. Civilians, as well as soldiers, were among those killed in Syria, the country's defense ministry said. At least 18 members of Iran-backed groups were killed in strikes on 26 sites there, according to Britain-based monitoring group Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which has researchers in the country. U.S. officials said they were confident the strikes on 85 targets at seven sites in the two countries had hit exactly what they meant to hit, but that analysts would make a closer assessment in daylight. Okay, there's some repetition here. I'm going to scroll down and see if there's anything new that is being said. There's some discussion of who was hit, when they were hit, etc., etc., Speaker of the Speaker Mike Johnson criticized the Biden administration for waiting a week to retaliate after the deaths of U.S. troops and for warning of the American response ahead of Friday strikes. The public hand wringing and excessive signaling undercuts our ability to put a decisive end to the barrage of attacks endured over the past few months. So I wanted to just look and see. Other things that were going on, this was an interesting one here too. The Justice Department announced Friday that it was seizing more than 500,000 barrels of internationally sanctioned Iranian fuel that officials said was illegally trafficked to provide funding for the country's paramilitary force. In addition, prosecutors announced criminal charges related to the sale of the crude oil to buyers in China, Russia, and Syria. Officials describe the actions, which come at time, at, at, at they're missing a word there, but which come at a time of simmering tensions between the U.S. and Iran, as part of a broader effort to disrupt funding to the paramilitary Revolutionary Guards Quds Force, I believe is how you say that, an expeditionary unit believed to be working abroad in countries like Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, and Yemen to back Iranian-allied militias. Iran presents a constant threat to the United States, trying to murder Americans right here within our borders, conducting a cyber attack on a children's hospital, supporting terrorists around the world, and more, FBI Director Christopher Wray said in a statement. All of Iran's crimes cost money, and the FBI will remain committed to enforcing U.S. sanctions that keep money out of its coffers. Well, I'm not even going to say what I think of the FBI and the money of the American taxpayers' money that they have wasted and the crimes that the Federal Bureau of Investigation themselves have gotten up to, the Justice Department. Well, I said I wasn't going to say anything, but there I did. So... I just wanted to look and see because the thing that was striking when Alan read this article in 2021, I looked it up immediately, but I wanted to see 
who else was commenting on these leaked documents, and there was almost no coverage. And I don't remember right now, there was a site in the UK that had posted some of the leaked documents that they got that article from. And immediately at the time, there were several articles in the mainstream that were accusing the people involved who ran the site of being Russian operatives, of promoting anti-Semitic theories. I mean, it was just anything that they could paint them with, they did. But what I was really struck by is how difficult it is to find anything to read or to hear that is not the propaganda that is designed for you in your country, wherever you are. This is the nature of news where it is, and Alan did touch on that in this hour that I am playing for you. I listened to a Times Radio interview with a man named Ben Hodges, and the title of that on YouTube was Escalating Conflict with Iran Could Stop Putin. And this Ben Hodges was, he's a retired general for the United States Army in Europe, and he serves as a NATO senior mentor for logistics. And it goes on and tells you all the different things that he's done. His battle wars are under the main war heading of global war on terrorism, and they include Iraq war and war in Afghanistan. And then he has numerous awards and medals and so forth. But there he was on Times Radio saying, um, we've got to go big in Iran. We've got to get on the ground there, not just skirt it with Iraq, with Syria. We've got to get in there and deal with them because in dealing with them, that's, that's dealing with Putin. So there you go. That, that's where we are. And the last thing that I want to say about this talk is that in addition to touching on Russia and propaganda and the way that propaganda is used, in this segment, Alan did something that was so brilliant and thought-provoking. And that was to cover what had happened years prior to COVID. And that was the 2009 swine flu. And so what he did, what he wanted to show you that before the Levison inquiry, before things got so bad with journalism that, you know, journalism is, is really no more, that there were actually reporters who would think, who would use logic, who would ask questions, and who would condemn their health ministers and governments for actions that they had taken. So that is really what you will find in this hour. And the last important thing that I wanted to mention is Alan is talking about fear. And fear keeps coming up with me. I talked with Johnny last week about fear. And I talked with Darren in the first book club segment about fear and how fear is used. Alan said, never forget this is a spiritual war. He had some very 
profound things to say about the nature of evil and the fact that most people no longer actually believe in real evil. It's just bad people doing bad things. So thought-provoking, I agree with Alan, this is a spiritual war. And we, those of you who hear me, let me say, let's be fearless. I'll speak again, like I said, to Darren and to Neil, and then either at the very end of this month or in March, I'll have more to say, I'll write again, and I will be well and truly moved into my environment and at a different phase in the way that I approach the work that I'm doing. On the 5th of March, for those who want to get ahead and do a little bit of extra viewing, I am going to be talking on real history with Elmer, who is a Norwegian living in Thailand. And Elmer made a wonderful documentary in 2009 that used some of Alan talking. And unfortunately, just because of how busy we were, that ne we never did anything or promoted that or talked about it or put it on the website. And I have had it up on the channels and the sites now for, for a little more than a year. It is called Awake in the Dream. It's a really great documentary about geoengineering and more. And I will link to that. I will leave you with my gratitude for your continued support. Thank you for listening and for caring about each other and the state that the world is in. And I'll be back. Yeah, I, I, I could go on as I say, and on and on and on, but so much that I do know, but I won't bother. Um, it's up to you to just get through this. Because really, the horror that's been inflicted upon society and humanity is overwhelming at times. And it should get you, it should at least motivate you into finding out what's happening. So that people down the road in the future, or maybe even the present, can benefit and survive against all the odds that are coming down the pike here. To show evil, this is a true, a true spiritual war here. I'm telling you, it really is spiritual. And sometimes, as I say too, I don't know when they're even really in real time interfering with my computer as well. You can you actually see them playing with you. You can do that's what they do. Same stuff as they've done across the world, as I say, these cyber warrior groups. I've mentioned all the different groups that are involved. They're authorized to be involved and harass their own their own fellow citizenry. What scum they are, eh? What scum? Again, they're psychopathic, obviously. Taking money and, and feeling so incredibly powerful. What, they, what they're allowed to do to other people. Playing with them. Hmm? Sadism, par excellence, eh? Authorized by our own governments. But it'll affect them too, because they're not, they're, they're all disposable themselves. They don't even get that yet. So, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, make a list, so that, make, copy the links so you can always get me. And if you want me earlier, always get me on Sunday night or early Monday morning, it's up on Sunday night, and you can listen to my talks, if nothing goes wrong. Now, the, this article by Forbes is part of a group uh, of mass media, mailings basically to media, by the Psychological Operations Divisions. 
they're working uh, again for government and the military because eh? I've got the articles from them some of, the, some of these associations uh, and uh, they're, they're, they're giving out the instructions to all the media on how to help to convince the public just like the one from Ireland there from the from the Irish Sage Unit and the British Sage Unit to increase anxiety and all the rest. All the tricks. Why are you resorting to tricks to get folk to comply and deception to get folk to comply and psychological behavioural techniques to comply in a free society? The very fact you're doing that means that society is not free. Now, here's what they say too. The power of the crowd, eh? beyond convincing the population that vaccine is safe and crucial for both individuals and the collectivity, how can you convince them when they don't know yet what the long-term studies are, even the short-term studies? Four or five weeks or two months is not a long-term study. When the, when the group in Britain for the Government Acquisitions Department, and I read it last week from the government site, and it states right on it, that they put a tender for applications, apps for cell phones and so on, so that folk who take the jab can be tracked and traced for a minimum of two years, so that the government can have a record of adverse effects. Which means they don't know if it's safe yet, otherwise they wouldn't need to do that if it's perfectly safe. But let's not use logic here. Anyway, it's in a situation of ambiguity. Here we are, eh? We tend to look at what others do to make, to make our own decisions, you see? In a study written with Marco Clements in 2015, we examined the importance of the majority opinion. Here we go, see? In driving practice adoption, eh? Using the communication theory of the spiral of silence introduced by Elizabeth Noel Newman, and in the 70s, in the study, we explain how we tend to align on what we perceive as a majority opinion to avoid feeling isolated. So let's so, so, see, it's too, if, you, if you're actually being told the technique right here, folks, using the crowd, right? So that you don't, so, so perceive as majority opinion to avoid feeling isolated and also adverse, conversely, means that you attack the person who won't go along with it and you'll make them isolated. You understand that you're seeing two things at the same time in the same sentence. In other words, if we feel like everybody else is taking the vaccine, we're likely to do so too. Well, that's really informed consent. Well, they've all taken it. huh? So I'll take it too. No, what's it told you about the vaccine? How about all the, all the, the, the actual side effects of it could possible and really, it, it could have on you? Informed consent is not making them feel isolated or making them feel part of the majority. That doesn't tell you anything except that they're, they're collective in nature. However, our perception of the majority opinion is often biased. If we see a vocal group, but by the same token, by the way, you could say the majority opinion. Okay, they behead people in some countries for crimes. Should we do the same if the majority are all for it? There, and just this is not giving you the details that we're talking about. We're talking about vaccination side effects here and the safety, and the fact if you get the jab and something goes wrong, it's not majority that's going to feel bad about it. It's you. 
So they go through the fact, oh, so the majority, you know, um, see, they might appear to us as a majority rather than as a marginal group. The impression will disproportionately influence our own decisions. Social media can play the role of an echo chamber that accentuates the impression. For the same reason, England has decided to enlist sensible celebrities. So here you are. Celebrities, see? They're paying them, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, um, and Scotland will even be very, will even be ready vaccinate. What's wrong with people's spelling and, and speech and grammar? Scotland will even be ready vaccinate its first minister, Nicola Surgeon. Even be ready vaccinate. They missed out a two or something on TV. Well, is she getting a vaccination? Is she? Is it, or is it sterile water perhaps? Uh, you know, seeing it, oh, it's on TV, it must be true. Mm-mm-mm. And by the way, they would never risk that live on TV. Because if someone important, not a little old you, said a nasty reaction immediately on television, it would kill the vaccination program. Do you understand that? They'd never allow it. They'd never, they would never chance that. More than celebrities, uh, we need to make visible and legitimate and broad support for the vaccine campaign. Such support also needs to, to highlight the process. And by the way, this is for vaccinations that they've said won't stop you getting it or spreading it. And won't, and you'll still have to wear masks after. Do you understand this? What else is going on here? Apart from the, the changing our behaviours, etc. Why is it so important to get these experimental vaccines? What else is it going to do to you? I wonder. Bertie Russell would have a good thing to say about that, I'm sure. So they're, they're talking about creating broad support for vaccination campaigns and so on and so on. There you go. Let's use the crowd and, and let's make it a, a collective thing that you all have to, well, they're all doing it, so that's a good enough reason for it. Never mind side effects or possible things or bad reactions. They're all doing it, so it's okay, you see. That, that's what you're, is that your informed consent? No, this is psycho- psychological deception and warfare, actually, techniques. It really is, isn't it? By the way, I've got lots of articles like that, but I wouldn't read them all tonight, because they're all given the handouts at the same time. By psychological warfare units and behaviorist groups like the BITS and so on. Huh? Here's what you tell the people. Remember, you increase anxiety at the same time, you know. And this article here from 2009, right? And this one here is News Canada at the time. Toronto Sun it was from. And that's when the, uh, they called it uh, the live bird flu virus, see? It says Baxter Laboratories, right? The company that released contaminated flu virus material from a plant in Austria. They've got, they, they, by the way, they're all over the world. There's, there's one in Ontario, I think, too. Baxter Laboratories that make the vaccine. And they, again, they were the first one. They were, they were given big, big, um, exposure at the time when that flu broke out in 2009, you know? And, and, um, the, the H5N1, they had avian flu virus and a swine flu they claimed at the same time. But uh, that company could go, oh, they said, rush it, they're going to rush it through in months. The same things you're hearing today, folks. See, they've, exper- they've, they've, they've tested this technique before of how to con the public, okay? 
and get everybody to take the vaccinations. And they, actually, they, man, they were mandating everybody was going to have to get the vaccine. Oh, it's going to kill millions of us. I've got the articles that says that. They're going to, it's going to kill millions of us. And it didn't. But what happened was the laboratory really sunk itself. Because this is what happened. They sent batches of the, the vaccine along with other batches of live viruses from Austria, a laboratory, to, to two different places that were subcontracted by them in, in Europe. And luckily, where they sent them, one guy examined them and tested the ones that were unmarked, and they were live viruses. If they'd been injected into somebody, they actually state that this is a, created a hybrid deadly disease. The person would have become the breeder. It's similar, by the way, to this one that we give you. They actually say that the person will become a kind of like a reactor to, to create more of these particular things in their body to fight the virus. This is what they said recently. But getting back to this article here, it says, What remains unanswered are the circumstances around the incident in the Baxter facility. And orthodono is called, right? The contaminated product, a mix of H3N2 seasonal flu viruses and unlabeled H5N1 viruses, was supplied to an Austrian research company. The Austrian firm, Avir Green Hills Biotechnology, then sent portions of it to subcontractors in the Czech Republic and Slovenia and to Germany. There's three places, right? The, the contaminated instrument, which was being investigated by the four European countries, came to light when the subcontractor in the Czech Republic inoculated ferrets with the product, and they died. <laughs> right away, they died. <laughs> Ferrets shouldn't die from exposure to human H3N2 flu vaccinations, right? Public health authorities concerned about what had been described as a serious error on Baxter's part, Baxter Laboratories, have assumed the death of the ferrets meant the H5N1 virus and the product and the vaccine was live. But the company Baxter International has been parsimonious about this, been evasive about the amount of information that's released about the event. On Friday, the company's director of global bioscience communications confirmed what scientists have suspected. They said it was live, Christopher Bona said in an email. The contaminated product, which Baxter calls experimental virus material, was made at the Orthdano Research or Donald Research Facility, Baxter makes its flu vaccine, including a human H5N1 vaccine for which a license is expected shortly at a facility in the Czech Republic. People familiar with biosecurity rules are dismayed by evidence that human H3N2 and avian H5N1 viruses somehow co-mingled in the Orth Donald facility. Uh, that is a dangerous practice that should not be allowed to happen. A number of experts insisted. There was really experts to insist upon that. Since the experts let that pass, see, eh? and how did it get? <laughs> Luckily, one person did the right thing and tested it on the ferrets. Accidental release of a mixture of live H5N1, live, right, and H3N2 viruses could have resulted in dire consequences. Well, the H5N1 doesn't easily infect people, isn't until you inject them. H3N2 viruses do. If someone exposed to a mixture of the two had been simultaneously infected with both strains, he or she could have served as an incubator for a hybrid virus able to, to transmit easily to and among people. The, that mixing process is called reassortment and is one of two ways pandemic viruses are created. 
That's what they do to create them in labs like that, you know. Just in case they ever did it by themselves, you know, that's called gain of function, you know. Let's see what would happen if, if we do this. It says that there's no suggestion that this happened because of this, this accident. However, at least nobody's come forward to say they got, they got both. We have no evidence of any reassortment that any reassortment may have occurred, said anger. Well, what do they expect them to say? And this is the odd part too. It says Baxter hasn't shed much light, at least publicly, on how the accident happened. Earlier this week, Bona called the mistake the result of a combination of just the process itself and technical and human error in this procedure. He said he couldn't reveal more information because it would give away proprietary information about Baxter's production process. Don't forget they, they use, they actually do gain a function in this kind of stuff, you know. Which makes things more lethal, by the way. Supposedly, just to, to try to keep ahead of viruses. Well, this might jump one day from this step to that step, maybe five steps down the road. So we should always make money by making it more lethal and finding ways to combat it. Should it ever break out by itself? <laughs> what a world, eh? Good business. And, uh, and there you go. That's one article on it, too. And this other article, too, is back again from 2009, you know. Illinois-based Baxter working on swine flu vaccine. This is the PR bit before before it got found out what happened. The specialty drug maker Baxter International will work with the World Health Organization to, to develop a vaccine that could stem an outbreak of a deadly swine flu strain in Mexico. That's how they introduced the idea of it by then. By the way, when they stopped, the, 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 never mind the, the side effects from other countries that tried that stuff too, and it fell flat and we stopped taking it. And guess what happened? After, it just died away. You never heard of it again. Just like the same build-up as COVID, by the way. Same build-up, but the same organizations. Try and get it. That they put it on hold and wait, go back to the drawing board. In fact, you think about it, a year later, 2010, that Operation Lockstep. See how fast they got on. We can't allow this to happen again, you know. Because you see, that should have, the, the whole system you're in today with lockdown, they were going to do it back then for, for the flu, swine flu, they called it. Didn't pan out. And as soon as the folks say, we've had enough for the way, we're not taking a virus, the, the screw up with vaccines. It fell flat. And the side effects of the people who had taken it too weren't, weren't good. They weren't good out back then. And the media wasn't all on board with them, by the way. And guess what happened? That, that flu just disappeared by itself. Wow. So here you are again, 2009. Okay. That's from the Associated Press. So Baxter spokesman Christopher Bona said Saturday that the Deerfield, Illinois based company had asked the WHO, WHO, for a sample of the flu strain. It didn't have it, right? He said Baxter had patented technology that allows the company to develop vaccines and half the time it usually takes about 13 weeks instead of 26. He says, there have been 20 confirmed deaths in Mexico of the swine flu with non-fatal cases also confirmed in Kansas and California. They did the same kind of thing there, by the way, with the swab tests and stuff and, and the, if, the false positives. And again, if they, did they die off the flu or with it, you know, you, you, maybe it only takes particles. So it only senses particles of viruses. Doesn't mean you've got the thing. Anyway, hum, humans don't have a natural immunity to swine flu strain that emerged in Mexico in March. It's strange how it just fizzled out by itself, eh? With no, you know, and with no immunity. Anyway, officials had warned outbreak could become a global epidemic. This is 2009, folks. This was like a dress rehearsal, and they really wanted to bring in the whole thing, eh? Millions could die, a lot of them said. Hmm. 
Now, here's one article here from then, you know, and that was uh, The Guardian by then. When The Guardian was a different newspaper then, it really was pretty decent. And so this one here is um, April 2009, Swine Flu. This is a panic stoked in order to, pos- to posture and spend. This is what the media used to be like when they weren't all on board through threats or whatever, you know. Despite this theory, the risk to Britain's health is tiny. I'll say that again for the harder thing. Despite the hysteria, the risk to Britain's health is tiny, but that news won't sell papers or drugs or justify the WHO's budget. Okay? As with Simon Jenkins. And it says, we have, we have gone, we have, we have gone demented to Britain's or are where not very ill from the flu. This could really explode in tones of report for BBC News. London warned it's here, cries the Evening Standard. Fear is said to be spreading like a Mexican wave. It could affect three quarters of a million Britons. It could cost three trillion dollars. The danger, according to the radio, is that workers who are not ill will be worried, perhaps by the reporter, <laughs> and feel to turn up at power stations and hospitals. Already panicked, on Monday, ministers plunged into their cobra bunker. That's the that's the emergency one for Brittany. Whitehall, to prepare for the worst, had Tony Blair been about, they would have worn germ warfare suits. British government is barking mad. What is swine flu? It says it's a flu, a mutation of the H1N1 virus of the sort that often occurs. It's not a pandemic, despite the media prefix, not yet. The BBC calls it potentially a terrible virus. But any viral infection is potentially terrible. Flu makes you feel ill. should take medicine and rest. You will then get well again, unless you're very unlucky or have some complicating condition. It's best to avoid close contact with other people as applies to a common cold. This is in Mexico, 2,000 people have been diagnosed as suffering swine flu. Again, it's the same kind of test, right? Some 150 of them have died with ages where they... Hmm? Was that we killed them? We don't know. There is said to be no pathological indication of all these deaths being linked to the new flu strain. At least they said that back then, right? People die all the time after catching flu, especially if not Medicaid. Nobody anywhere else in the world has died from this infection, and only a handful have the new strain confirmed. Most in America, and almost all after returning from Mexico. A couple from Airdrie who caught the flu on holiday in Cancun are getting better. That tends to happen to people who get flu, however much it may disappoint editors. We appear to have lost ability to judge the risk. The cost may lie in the national curriculum, the decline of news, or the rise of blogs and uh, concomitant, unmediated hysteria. But people seem helpless in navigating the gulf that separates public information from their daily round. They cannot set a statistic in context. It's true that some use statistics right, to terrify. They cannot relate bad news from Mexico to the risk that inevitably surrounds their lives. The risk of catching swine flu must be millions to one. Health scares are like terrorist ones. Someone, somewhere, has a, now this is important, has an interest in it. We depend on others with specialist knowledge to advise and warn us and assume they offer advice on a dispassionate basis, using their expertise to assess danger and communicating it in measured English words, such as possibly, potentially, could or might or should be avoided. They're unspecific qualifiers and open to exaggeration. So that's what you've had through this whole course. It might, potentially, could, 
or might be, or maybe, even, by the way, even Fauci uses the same terminology. Well, it may do this, and it may stop you, it may, or it might stop you getting the worst symptom. Might, may, how scientific is that? See? Yeah? The World Health Organization, always eager to push itself into the spotlight, loves to talk of the world being ready for a flu pandemic, apparently on the grounds that none has occurred for some time. There's no obvious justification for the scaremongering. I suppose the world is ready for another atomic explosion or another 9-11. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? How can you be ready for it? Professional expertise is now overwhelmed by professional log rolling. Risk aversion has trounced risk judgment, an obligation on public officials not to scare pub- uh, people or lead them to needless expenses, overridden by the yearning for a higher budget or more profit. Health scares enable media-hungry doctors, public health officials and drugs companies to benefit by manipulating fright. Manipulating fright, see? It says, on Monday, the EU Health Commissioner Andrula Vassalou uh, advised travellers not to go north or Central America unless it's very urgent. The British Foreign Office warned against all but essential travel to Mexico. Sound familiar, folks? Because of the danger of catching flu, this was outrageous. It would make more sense to prefer such a warning against the American crime rate. Yet such health and safety hysteria wiped millions from travel company shares. During the BSC, yes, that's the bovine uh, scare of 1995-97 it was. And uh, it says, uh, grown men with medical degrees predicted doom, terrifying ministers, politicians, right, into mad politicians' disease. The, the scientists hysteria that BSC has the potential to infect up to 10 million Britons. <sighs> Ten million, eh? That's what they told them then. That's the big BSE scare. Led to tens of thousands of cattle being fed into power stations and five billion pounds spent on farmers' compensation. By the way, Ferguson was involved in that too, I think. You know, they, they, I know they were doing it on computer modeling as opposed to reality. A year later, the scientists tried to maintain that the BSE might spread to sheep because according to one government scientist, the absence of evidence, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. <laughs> the meat industry was wrecked and an absurd ongoing cost was imposed on stock farmers with the closure and concentration of abattoirs. They've closed abattoirs with the COVID scare, folks. Most of them shows because they're going to get off me anyway. I mean, Bill Gates already said that, and so is the rest of the characters. You'll own nothing, and you'll be happy, and you'll be meatless, and so on, right? Maybe a bit skinny and malnourished, but because uh, obviously they're going to cut back on your vegetables and all that too. By the way, folks, oh yeah, mm-hmm. all their modified vegetables, eh? It says the science-based, this science-based insanity was repeated during the SARS outbreak of 2003. Isn't it, isn't it a breath of fresh air to read common sense from reporters that were real reporters back then and not this on the payroll? Eh? The science-based insanity was repeated during the SARS outbreak of 2003, asserted by Dr. Patrick Dixon, formerly of the London Business School, to have a 25% chance of killing tens of millions. The press duty headlined a plague worse than AIDS. Not one Briton died of it. 
Same lunacy occurred in 2006 with avian flu erupting after a scientist named John Oxford declared that it will be the first pandemic of the 21st century. The WHO issued a statement that one in four Britons could die. Could again, see? <laughs> Epidemiologists love the word could because it can always assure them of a headline. During the avian flu mania, Canada geese were treated like Goring's bombers. It's true they were killing them, eh? RSPB workers were issued with protective headgear. The media went berserk with interviewers asking why the government didn't close all schools to prevent up to 50,000 deaths. The Today program's John Humphreys became frantic when a dead goose flopped down on an isolated Scottish beach and a hapless local official refused to confirm the BBC's hysteria. The bird might pose no threat to Scotland, but how dare he deny London journalists a good panic. Meanwhile, a real pestilence, MRSA and C. difficile, was taking hold in hospitals. It was suppressed by the medical profession because it appeared that they themselves might be to blame. These diseases have played a role in thousands of deaths in British hospitals. The former reported 1,652 and the latter 8,324 in 2007 alone. Like deaths from alcoholism, we've come to regard hospital-induced infection as an accident of life, a hazard to which we have subconsciously adjusted. MRC and C. difficile are not like swine flu, an opportunity for public figures to scare and posture and spend money. They're diseases for which the government is to blame. They claim no headlines and no cobra priority. Their sufferers must crawl away and die in silence. Excellent article, but that's what you used to get when, when they were allowed to say things. Now they had the Levison inquiry, by the way, to do with, um, phone tappings and stuff from the, from the Murdoch group, apparently. I think it was in the Murdoch group papers were doing that. But they used the Levson Inquiry to silence reporters, folks. That was a, I knew as much more to it when Lord Levison was given this task of rewriting the rights and rules and what you could say and what you couldn't say. And this is what you could say the year before, as this reporter managed to do, right? And put it in the Guardian newspaper, when the Guardian newspaper had some guts and gumption and decency. Mm-hmm. So you can look that up yourself and read it. It's comforting to read it, actually. It, it, it reassures your sensibilities again, you know. Dangerous stuff, though, really, eh? Reassuring your own sensibilities. Mm. And also put up one about the, the Baxter one again. As we're, they were building it up just like the, the, the BioNTech, you know, and the Bill Gates vaccines. and They're they all involved in two and Pfizer, etc. And now they're using the Baxter one then to try and make, and until that screw up happened and they just sunk them. And again, the flu just died away then. Oh my goodness. It was going to kill millions, but nah, it just died away. When, when the media lost interest, so did the disease. <laughs> also from, um, again, it's so important, the, the, the flu vaccine trials, 2008-2009, right? Because this also broke out back then, you know, so much for your informed consent or, or getting professionals to persuade you by using the crowd, you know. Crowd opinion motivates the rest to jump on board with it. What do you think of That's probably good for you. That's informed, right? So this is from the Telegraph Media Group at the time. 
and it's uh, 2008 actually, July. Homeless people die, this is from Poland, after bird flu vaccine trial in Poland, right? Three Polish doctors and six nurses facing criminal prosecution after a number of homeless people died following medical trials for a vaccine to the H5N1 bird flu virus. This is happening in different places too, by the way. But at least in mainstream, you see how it was before the, the Levison Inquiry and then literally just light and day what the reporters would say, you know. The medical staff from the northern town of uh, Grudzads Grudziads are being investigated over medical trials and as, as many as 350 homeless and poor people last year, which prosecutors say involved an untried vaccine to the highly contagious virus. All they should have said is say it's safe, no, untried vaccine to the highly contagious virus. The way it just disappeared, eh? And it says the director of the homeless center, Mieczysław uh, Woslowski, told the Polish newspaper that last year 21 people from his centre died, a figure well above the average of about eight. Although authorities have yet to prove a direct link between the deaths and the activities of the medical staff, Poland's health minister, Ewa Kopas, has said that the doctors and nurses involved should not return to their profession. It's in the interest of all doctors that those who are responsible for this are punished. The different wording is to what's happening today, huh? the minister added, yeah. Investigators are also probing the possibility that medical staff may have also deceived the pharmaceutical companies that commissioned the trials. The suspects said that all of those involved knew that the trial involved an anti-H5N1 drug and willingly participated. The news of the investigation will come as another blow to the reputation of Poland's beleaguered and poverty-stricken National Health Service. Listen to it. In 2002, a number of ambulance medics were found guilty of killing their patients for commissions from funeral companies. You think evil doesn't stalk this earth, eh? You're living through evil right now, folks. I mean real evil. It's almost got nothing to stop it right now. Because most folk don't believe in it anymore. They've become humanists. Well, yeah, humans do bad things, you know, it's just human nature. And you've all been trained to believe that, of what's going on. But back then, at least, they could charge and find people who've been killing them. Hmm? It's just astonishing what goes on. And, and the more horrific and, and big the massacres and slaughters and, and, and deceptions, even just the deceptions, the bigger they are, the more evil it is. Evil really protects itself, you know. No one can, anyone's coming down with bad reactions after getting the vaccine. Every newspaper is telling you immediately before the body's cold, nothing to do with the vaccination. How would you know? <laughs> I tell you. And then the article two that came out in February twenty first, nineteen eighty three, the swine flu fiasco. That's the, the earlier swine flu fiasco. Great documentary, and it's been it's been out there for if it's still up there, obviously on YouTube or what. It's about the nineteen seventy six, a nineteen year old soldier died at Fort Dix, New Jersey, after coming down with a severe case of influenza, which they dubbed swine flu. 
Fearing a return of the fatal 1918 Spanish flu, this is the excuse, US authorities launched an unprecedented program to vaccinate every man, woman and child in the country. But after two months and tens of millions of dollars, the program was scrapped when reports leaked out about adverse reactions to the shock that ranged from temporary paralysis, just like we're hearing now, but you know, temporary paralysis, we've got that, we've got Parkinson's, your face is paralyzed, you know, just, you know. So they stopped these things, at least the sense to stop things back then, right? So they stopped it and, uh, temporary paralysis to also people who died as well. This CBC, a CBC television clip, looks at the ill-fated initiative which was blamed for casting suspicion on vaccination efforts for an entire generation. So it's, uh, so it says President Gerald Ford's National Influenza Immunization Program began October the 1st, 1976 with free vaccination clinics in Indianapolis. Canada followed suit days after, even though no cases of the virus had been detected north of the border. And it goes through the history of what happened. It said the multi-million dollar cost was needed to avoid the return of the virus. So they put big money towards it. And 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 again, for the time, he he claimed the return of the virus, which he claimed had caused the 1918 pandemic. See, it wasn't the same thing again either. It wasn't it wasn't the one had done then. Following the footsteps of Ford's announcement, Canadian Health Minister Mark Lalonde said he was contemplating a universal vaccination program, well intentioned but poorly executed. The vaccinations were a public health disaster that contributed to Ford's election loss. He was voted out of office in 1977 because the side effects and so on, right? Oh, because one soldier died, right? Uh-uh-uh. Men, it came out too, by the way, that this soldier, this young fella, uh, that they, they did them on uh, kind of chores for about four days straight and, and incredible exercises and, and jogging runs and the whole thing. Some of them was riding his back, basically, obviously. And that's really what they said what killed him. He was beyond exhaustion and he died. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And they used all this scariest, all this story along with many others at the time reported as many 500 cases of swine flu at Fort Dixon warned of a second more deadly wave in the fall. Mm. Didn't happen, though, eh? They always give this second and third wave stuff, eh? From the same sources. Mm. It says this combined with a lack of an outbreak of the swine flu after, te- you know, locking down folk and you had to you vaccinate and, and big bucks for pharma, for pharma and vaccine makers, right? They only managed to, to vaccinate 500 folk in the US. They, they developed the, the Guillain Barr syndrome and 25 of them died. That was enough for the U.S. government. The CDC ordered the suspension of the flu program December the 16th, 1976. Ontario followed suit the day after with the rest of the province cancelling the program the week after. See this? See, you understand why they're going the whole hog this time, regardless of the consequences? Anti-change society, folks. Mm-mm-mm. But yeah, that, that was in medium, put out by television at the time. The program was called The Journal. And uh, you look it up for yourself. Barbara Frum, the mother of David Frum, it was, uh, who wrote the book for Bush Jr., The Right Man and all that stuff, uh, was the host of it. 
2009. <clears throat> I'm just reminding you about how safe things are and safe things are. You're going to get informed consent. You better start asking some questions. Not like, well, is the rest of the crowd taking it? You know, <laughs> this is your life, eh? And your hands, eh? Okay. This one here says. Free report, key pointer to life-transforming diet. It says at the very top of this one, it's put by a health company, actually. But it says that the flu, children who have flu jab are three times more likely to need hospital care. This is 20th of May, 2009. So they take the standard flu jab, three times more likely to end up in the hospital. The vaccine also is useless at preventing the disease. New research has discovered and children with asthma are especially vulnerable after being given the annual flu vaccine, TIV, uh, trivalent and activated flu vaccine. Children aged from 6 months to 18 years are, are recommended to have the vaccine each year. So researchers from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester made the discovery after studying 263 children who had had the flu and where or not they had been vaccinated. They discovered that the children who had been vaccinated were three times more likely to need hospital care than those not vaccinated. And the risk was even higher in children who had asthma. It was also clear the vaccine had not protected the children against the flu, the researchers told a conference this week. That was the 105th International Conference of the American Thoracic Society in San Diego. And uh, other links are there to other people involved in the, in the, in the investigations of it. Hmm. Now this other article too is in, it's interesting. Again, it's to do <laughs> with, with, with psychological warfare, folks, is what it is. As I've said before, if you are telling the truth to people, you don't have to use persuaders, professional persuaders. They're allowed to say no when it comes to their own life, obviously. Now, I've talked before about how words are so important. This, this article is, is interesting. I've got much more in-depth articles myself over many, many years from this different sources that you can't even find now some of them and even books have been removed from libraries over many years and I, I talked about that years ago too when I saw piles and piles like hundreds of books hundreds of books occasionally getting dumped at a time in local dumps and they called it was it weeding out that's the term they're using now internationally weeding out the books and libraries uh, because a lot of books, you see, had a lot of information that might make you think about things and come to different conclusions about different things and disinform you generally, you know. Or facts. Facts are an awful danger these days. But this little article here gives you a little clue into something. Something's best that these little shallow articles, in a sense. But this one here says... Uh, Changing the culture of concussion reporting amongst college athletes. And you say, well, what's that got to do with anything, right? And they're, they're talk about uh, taking a socio-ecological approach to the problem, looking at vested interests and in reporting behavior at the individual level. Organizational culture, that's as important, organizational culture, they call it, at the interpersonal group level. So we are talking about earlier about the crowd and so on. This is a more in-depth little talk about it. And cultural narrative at the social level. This has been going on for years, eh? And underneath it goes into detecting and tracking adversarial framing in mainstream and social media. 
The CFC has been awarded a grant from the Office of Naval Research to study the use of adversarial framing and in information operations by state actors to influence political discourse in Europe. Okay? Now, don't forget that the, the Naval Research, Navy has probably the larger um, intelligence agency. It's a senior intelligence agency than the other ones, you know. And they do amazing stuff. I mean, I'll get off the top of you again, just from, this is where I always go, but the, I can remember years ago, and I remember mentioned it in the late 90s in a talk of a study I noticed in Hawaii. And the, the soldier, the, the, the naval um, personnel have been studied for years by psychologists and behaviorists and, and the people involved in and social, socio-economic systems and so on to see what classes would marry, what kind of people that they met in foreign countries to get a more, this is what they said, by the way, this is years ago. I just, this is just amazing stash inside your brain. Eh? And they said that, that, that the study had been ongoing to find out, uh, what children of the, of the offspring of sailors and military people Mix, what, what cultures do they mix with give them a more compliant docile offspring? I'm not kidding you. This is an official study. I've been on for years. And they listed the, 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 the peoples that uh, were satisfactory. It, they, apparently they didn't want to, to breed with their own peoples, but maybe it made them more aggressive, I don't know. But yeah, they, they actually, uh, it, obviously, they already had the, the sailors group in ethnicities. Eh? That's rather obvious. I had to have to do the studies, ongoing studies. And, and again, the, the, the psychologists and behaviorists studying them and quietly, but unobserved and all that, and little chit-chats with medical professionals. And, and that's how information really comes out, is through chit-chat, you know. You, you have no idea what you're living in. You, know, you, you have no, 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 now it's much easier because it's all on the internet and, and, and people put it up on their Facebook pages. It's all done. You're, you're doing it all for them. Everything about you. <laughs> Back to the article, and it says detecting and tracking and serial framing in mainstream stream. So here they are, right? Uh, how to to alter and how to frame discourses and information operations right? in Europe. Framing is the use of words, phrases, images, or other rhetorical devices to encourage one interpretation of a set of facts. Now to be a common interpretation, you see what it is, of facts and discourage other interpretations. You're starting to get the picture. You just apply this again to COVID right now or whatever part of COVID you want to, to encourage one interpretation of a set of facts and discourage other interpretations. The research is an outgrowth of a pilot project conducted with support from Lockheed Martin Advanced Technology Laboratories. Initially studied Russia's use of such tactics in the 2014 Ukraine conflict. That that project showed large shifts in framing prior to the invasion of Crimea. This research will attempt to extend the approach to other European conflicts to improve detection of adversary efforts, development of counter and influence campaigns, and assessment of allied and adversary campaigns and forecasting of hostility escalation. It says here, right? And now, here's the thing. 
you simply, back to what I said before, and the articles I put up before, and the links in previous weeks and months, when the Canadian government, the American government, the British government, and of course the British Empire, I still call it the Empire system, because they put it like it or not, they're all still part of the same uh, commonwealth, I like to call it nowadays, eh? are all under the same, the same rule and the same agenda. And they, they turned and they authorized, it was in the mainstream newspaper articles, the same uh, cyber warriors, they call them, the different divisions of them, different layers of them for the military, upon their own people during the COVID thing, using the same techniques, eh? right? So again, back to, to influence political discourse at the time. Yeah. But um, using words, framing the use of words, phrases and images or other rhetorical devices to encourage one interpretation of a set of facts and discourage other interpretations. It's been used on you now, folks. These are psyops, psychological warfare operations. Yeah. This is, this is an offhand thing right now, but I thought I'd just tuck it in as well. Because you folk have no idea where all their opinions are made, who's making them, and why, how they're even coming to them. This article here now is to do with how they're always blaming Russia for something. Again, it's, it's psyops, all these different things, you know. You don't need another country to do these things for you. As his leaked documents have unequivocally proven that the United Kingdom has been running a large-scale and well-funded program. The links are here, by the way, to, to the program. Uh, to plaster the Western media with anti-Russian propaganda and Twitter wants you to know that these materials were obtained through hacking. Meanwhile, just a few weeks ago, the connections between American big tech and these sundry programs were formalized with Ben Nimmo joining Facebook to, to lead global threat intelligence strategy against influence operations. This also applies, by the way, to COVID. Anyway, speaking out against COVID. Yeah. And it says Ben Nimmo is a non-resident senior fellow of the Atlantic Council think tank. Naturally, these ones are all pro-wars and stuff for the same peanut group which pays the salaries of pro-NATO journalists and activists and is funded by the U.S. State Department and military contractors like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. He heads Atlantic Council's DFR lab to operationalize the study of disinformation by exposing falsehood and, and fake news. And there, in other words, they, they, with that last article, ties right in with this one here, folks, how they do it, right? He's highly accomplished in the field, having filtered out uh, says disgruntled British pensioners on Facebook and Twitter for several years now, and these are different things he'd been he'd worked. Uh, he's worked on Ben Nimmo, a DFR lab fellow who has built his reputation on flushing out online Kremlin influence network, embarked on an embarrassing witch hunt this year that saw him misidentify several living, breathing individuals as Russian bots or Kremlin uh, influence accounts, and uh, says his victims included. Mariam Susley, a well-known Syrian-Australian social media personality, the famed Ukrainian concert pianist Valentina uh, Lisita, Lisita and uh, Lisitsa, and a British pensioner named Ian Schilling. See, he, was, he fell flat in all these ones. According to another expose by the Moon of Alabama's blog, Nimmo also prominently figures in cluster lists in the UK's Integrity Initiative. <laughs> An FCO-funded partner project of Bellingcat, Bellingcat by us, like the, almost like the, 
the 77th Brigade of PSYOPs eh? and uh, Cyber Warriors and the Atlantic Council under which journalists, activists and social media armchair warriors were uh, uh, compensated for doing tasks like pushing the Russiagate conspiracy theory and launching smear attacks against public figures perceived to have taken insufficiently anti-Russian positions. Ironic given that the DFR Lab's own fondness for cluster graphics, it says here, it gives you links to these little terms and so on. And it talks about too how they're, they're using them too for all kinds of social media. You understand what's, this is the same ones you're seeing, uh, operate openly now, really, attacking people within their own countries. Your own governments are doing this. They're at war with all of you. An independent inquiry or independent, uh, reasoning even. Yeah? I'll put out a link too to the Levison inquiry as I say that change that really I could see the night and day change of the media, what they would say, what they wouldn't say and so on. After that last, uh, 2009 flu <laughs> failure, um, Although they don't mention the flu, but I know it was definitely part of it because it was night and day. And it's 2010, a year later, remember, that they came out with a lockstep, Operation Lockstep, how it would be in the future, the next pandemic that they would try it with. Um, it says here, this article, this article here too, it says, um, it will take seven years to end the coronavirus pandemic by getting shots in the arms of 75 percent of the world's population, but the U.S. could reach herd immunity by the 2022 New Year vaccination calculator. It's all done through computers, eh? The calculator shows, eh? So the coronavirus pandemic will drag on for another seven years at the current rate of vaccinations worldwide. Uh, so now the calculations predict. So we're living by by calculations from computer modeling here. And this was according to Bloomberg's vaccination calculator. But who gave him the right to be involved in changing our lives and involved with all these different pandemics, etc.? Along with Bill Gates and all, all these other big rich philanthropists, the, the plutocrats that John Cleese talked about, eh? John Cleese and Monty Python said he wasn't worried about it. The only ones he worried about were plutocrats, the richest people in the world, uh, forming a big club and running the world to their own agenda. Well, this is where we are, folks. It's been this way for a long time. And then in Spain, by the way, you've got another article here. Barcelona, a judge in northwest Spain, has overruled the family's objections and decided to allow a health authority over there to administer a COVID-19 vaccine to an incapacitated woman in a nursing home. Remember the ones in Germany last week I mentioned too, where there's a lot of folk in hot water because they actually held, forcibly held down people who had not consented to getting vaccinations and they gave them to them, and a lot of them have died since then. Of course, it's nothing to do with the vaccinations. But uh, regardless, uh, they said, well, we can't get an informed consent because they're, they're, some of them are senile, you know. Well, some of them were awfully ambulatory. One was even a jogger and very fit, and so, but it makes no difference. When you're old, you're useless. You're, you're a useless eater, for goodness sake. The bioethicists tell you that now, you know. Get with the program. Eh? So here they are, they're, they're, now they're just uh, using judges to say it's legal to kill them, I guess. Or, well, sorry, legal to give them vaccinations. And if they die, it's not the vaccination, obviously. So I would say it's far safer to, to attach to your blood sample, see if they've got antibodies already to it, like most folk have. 
And uh, leave it at that. You don't need a vaccination then, you know. There's also an article out, a few articles actually, and I know this is going to be a big one. It will be a big one, folks. Because there's a, there's inquiries now, as to, especially the side with the one, the doctor, because it's always important for folk to make the, the, the gears start working. The gynecologist that died, you know, his platelets were all destroyed by his own immune system. It turned on them suddenly after the, you know, just coincidentally after he got the shots, you know, within weeks. And, um, but what they found, he had, Two ant- types of antibody. One, in his body created itself, so he'd been exposed to it the previous year, you see, last year. And he developed, like most folk do, antibodies, so he's immune to it. But he got the shot in the spring, or this, this last month, I guess it was, in January or so. But anyway, uh, and they, they said that they now had another antibody from the vaccination, a different kind. So it's, so it literally is different, you know. Makes you wonder what's all the, all the rest of it. But however, some investigators are wondering, and health investigators who know their stuff, are wondering if um, this was caused the conflict. If you're, and actually, there was a bit of a warning in one of the articles I saw I read last week. I mentioned it, where it said that, that it may be possible that if you've already got the antibodies, right, that getting the vaccination might be dangerous for you. Because the back, they take the different kinds of conflict that will then hit you with having the two kinds, one will attack the other. This is what they're wondering, eh? And I'll guarantee you, if there's any truth to it, that will get squashed. Because as I said last year in February, this agenda is written in stone. It took years to work this out, years to plan all, years to get the right people in places in all the big countries in charge of health and so on, all in the right positions. That's why it's not normal that you haven't got any dissenting voices and authority here. It's not normal. Anyway, just something to think about, you know, this, but this, this idea of persuading the people to go along with the crowd, and that's okay to do that when you're supposed to be giving each person, each person, not the crowd, each person, after the crowd isn't your life, you're your life. And get an informed consent where you say what are the possible side effects that have been recorded by this thing and, you know, and they're supposed to sit and read it all off to you you're supposed to decide if you want it or not and this one again going back to one of the stories at the beginning look for ways to increase insecurity anxiety and uncertainty the zero COVID document, huh? I meant Irish, Irish news, eh? And the revelation comes from a trove of hundreds of emails, draft documents in Isaac internal, the, the, the Irish special um, advisory group for the government, internal communications that were recently leaked to gripped. So the members were instructed to review and, and, and internalize instructions to look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. And the people, and to go after people and not institutions, people speaking, go after people because people hurt faster than institutions. There's your democracies and actions, folks. The instructions were shared to the group by Professor Anthony Staines, one of the founders of ISAG, the group, right? In a note titled Notes from 2020 uh, to 8 ISAG meeting, 
The note's title contains a typo which was actually posted on the 8th of February 2021. The note reminded Isaac members of the importance of ridicule as man's most powerful weapon, and that the threat of a thing is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. So ridicule the people who are speaking out, you see. Shame them and ridicule them, that's what they're on about here. And... Um, it says the, 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 these guys who, who are part of this group, by the way, they're regular guests on the Irish media and probably on TV too, were told they could count on imagination to dream up many more consequences. Your imagination, right? You can dream up many more consequences than they themselves, uh, as the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. There you go. Same as one in Britain that they handed out to the, the British uh, newspaper journalists and so on. Or at least news journalists, I should come. Most of them don't papers anymore, I think. But journalists, uh, same kind of thing, yeah. same stuff from the same group, really, because the, the Irish branch is, it works with the, the main branch in, in London, England. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. There you go. Send a few bucks my way, please, and keep me going. Take care of yourselves in the meantime and get your little groups together to help each other as you go through. They'll get worse before they get any better. They don't give up, but they get more vicious, I think, as time goes on. There's a lot riding on this. It isn't just vaccine industry or money. It's a whole new way of bringing a new structured system in, which you wouldn't like if you were asked about it. So you're not being asked. You're made to conform. Send a few bucks my way, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And look into it, you'll see how to send me a few dollars. Take care of yourselves, and from myself, from myself, from Alan Watt, and to your Canada, it's good night to me, your God, your God's go with you.